0: us today is Dr. Larry Hart. Long before the book, the movie, and the television program, Friday Night Lights, immortalized the life of Permian High School in Odessa, Texas, Larry Hart attended school there. In fact, he was a student there when the football team won their first state championship and started the dynasty. Larry, Larry was the class president all four years in high school and a member of Silvertones, a singing group named for his Sears Silvertone guitar. Among the quartet's famed uh, quartet's members was famed country music singer Larry Gatlin, who organized the group. A four-sport man in football, basketball, track, and baseball, Larry narrowed his focus to basketball during his college years, earning his letter jacket as an O.R.U. Titan. That's what they were called back then. Following God's call in his life, he earned a B.A. at O.R.U. and an M.Div. and Ph.D. from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. For many years, he served in pastoral ministry in Indiana, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Texas, and Florida. During that time, he planted two churches, one in Kentucky and one in Oklahoma. Dr. Hart came to ORU in 1979 and served as the university's chaplain from 1981 to 1984. He has taught in the ORU Graduate School of Theology and Missions for 30 years. Please welcome Dr. Larry Hart.
1: Bless you. Well, it's so good to be back with you. It's been a while. You look better than ever. All kinds of changes going on around here. I don't even think a church should call itself Christian until they have a gym like you have. And have all this stuff going on with the young people. I want to warn you about something. This praise group here, they're radicals. They had me up here praying out loud before the service started. I'm telling you, something going on around here. And uh, I want to talk this morning with you for just a few moments about changes and choices. At least I planned on it until I saw that Jeff Wetterman here is already teaching you the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to dismiss us because everything I've got to say, he's already said to you out of the book of Ephesians. And I want us just to reflect a little bit about the changes and choices that God brings into our lives. Let's pray about it and then let's look at God's word together. Dear Father, thank you for the changes that you are working in our lives, individually and corporately. Thank you, Lord, for the changes going on in this world that you are bringing about, despite all that we see in the dark kingdom around us. That your kingdom shines brighter and is infinitely more powerful. We just pray that you would help us to make the right choices in the momentous days that we're facing. We pray your blessing on each of us right now speak to each of our hearts in Jesus name we ask it amen and amen changes and choices changes the one constant in life is is change Have you noticed this you remember the last time you went to your class reunion did you recognize anybody they had swollen up like pickles and their hair had disappeared what happened until they told you their name you didn't know who they were I come into this building and all these changes going on. You eat at a different place. And now this gym and all this thing happening around us. So the one constant is changing. We're all changing all the time, whether we like it or not. But there's wonderful news for us. God doesn't change. He never changes. He said that to us. His own personal testimony is, I am the Lord and I change not. So we can build our lives on a solid foundation of God who never changes. But it is also true that he, that he does not change in his character or his counsel, but he does change in his attitudes and actions. That is, he interrelates to you and, with you and me. And he offers us choices. And he allows us to respond to him. And then he responds to us. That looks like change from our vantage point. Obviously, from his vantage point, he's not changing. We're the ones that are being called upon to change. And so that leads us then to the choices that God lays out before us. The choices. Albert Camus, the French existentialist writer, said, Life is the sum of all your choices. Life is the sum of all your choices. Life is a multiple choice test. We face choices every day of our lives. And God places before you and me choices. And he allows us to make that choice. I have, a, I have two online classes going this summer. We're about to finish up. And um, one of the students said something uh, that I thought was very interesting. We were, they were talking about Calvinism and Arminianism. And she said, well, I know this. God seems to be very fond of free will. (laughs) I think that's a very good statement. God is very fond of free will. He never wants to coerce you or me. He wants us to freely respond. And His grace enables us to freely respond to Him rather than being coerced by Him. Now, there's a book in the Bible that deals with this reality. It's the book of Ephesians. How many of you have been studying that this summer with Jeff? Okay, well then you're way ahead of the curve here as we go through some of the uh, key passages this morning together. Choices. Have you noticed this? That some of the most important choices we make are small choices that have enormous repercussions. Uh, My Son and daughter-in-law and our little newest, one of our newest grandkids live in Edmond and they go to a life church there. And their pastor is Craig Rochelle. He has a book out called Divine Direction. And while we were on vacation, I listened to his podcast as we drove along. And he told a lot of personal stories about the choices that God puts before us. He said one day in school, he had the choice of going off and partying or going to the library and getting ready for the exam. There was the make or break exam in his business course. And he made the choice to go to the library. While he was at the library, he met a young woman. And uh, they didn't really hit it off, but they had some interest. And he thought nothing of the, this person that just came by and said hello. And they struck up a conversation. But weeks later, he ran into her again and she said, I have met a young woman you need to meet. That young woman ended up being his wife. And he asked the question, you know, what, had happen, what would have happened if I hadn't made that choice, that small little decision that day to go to that library? Sometimes the biggest doors of opportunity swing on such small little hinges. Every choice important to God. But that brings us then to the book of Ephesians. This book has it all. The first half of it deals with changes. The second half of it deals with choices. And so when we look at the book of Ephesians, we see all of these changes. For example, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, God, he says, has blessed us. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has chosen us. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God, Paul announces again in that same first paragraph of the first chapter, has predestined us for adoption. God has redeemed us in Christ. We have redemption through his blood. We just sang about that. God has made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive in him. He has saved us by his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. God has planned works for us to do. For we are God's masterpiece, he tells us in the second chapter. He's created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has revealed his plan to us. He has made known to us, Paul announces, quote, the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set, for, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. God has sealed us. Think about all the things God has done. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You see, God is already changing us. He's already conforming us to the image of his son Jesus Christ. But then he calls upon you and me. To make the right choices. The next three chapters of Ephesians. Lay out the five key life choices. That God intends for you and me. To uh, embrace. And to grapple with. And to enter into. These choices. That follow the changes that are going on in our lives. He has. He has used a very interesting word here in these chapters 4 and 5. And it's the word walk. It's found five times here. Walk. W-A-L-K. Behind this is the Jewish tradition of the halakha, which means the walk. It's how you do God's word. He's told told us what he's doing and who he is and what he's about. Now he's saying, here's what I want you to do about it. And here's how this comes down to a daily walk of decisions and choices that you and I have to make. And so he lays out five key choices. And every time he does it with the word walk. So let's look at these five quickly this morning. First, he he calls upon you and me to embrace, to choose, to embrace our calling. My mama met Jesus Christ on October the 13th, 1946. Three months later she found out I was on the way and immediately she gave me to the Lord she said Lord whatever baby this is this is your baby they were wanting me to be a girl in fact when I was born the doctor said you have a beautiful boy and she said oh shoot and that warped me that's the reason I'm so weird Uh, and he said he's got the biggest hands because he knew one day I'd be at Oral Roberts you know laying hands on playing basketball, all that sort of thing. and uh, But she gave me to the Lord. Guess what? I was born on October the 13th, 1947, the one-year anniversary of her new birth. And from the time I have any self-awareness, I've had this drive to know God. There was this sense of a calling of God on my life, a sense of a calling to really to preach the word of God and yet I had a hard time with that calling I ra- I grappled with it for years in fact in my Baptist church you know you went forward and you announced this and then they all treated you differently they treated preacher boys different I said I'm not a preacher I don't I don't I can't fit into that mold I'm not traditional I'm weird there's something about me but there's a calling and I could never escape that my Junior year at Oral Roberts University, I went into an empty dorm room and I had it out with God. I said, I have to resolve this once and for all in my life, whether you've called me to preach the gospel. And of course, after hours of prayer, that was confirmed. But that was preceded by hours of studying of the calling. And you know what I discovered? Everybody's called. Every person in the body of Christ is called. Let's look at it. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. This is Ephesians 4.1. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is above all and through all and in all. Then he goes on to say in the 11th verse, and he, Jesus Christ, gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he give these to the church? To equip the saints... For the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. The pastors and evangelists and so forth. Equip us. The saints. To do the work of the ministry. We're the ministers. We're the ones that have a calling on our life. Everybody's calling is different. When you can have a sports camp like this. I just thought. Oh, I just wish my little granddaughters were here living. And we're trying to get them to move here. And we, this would be the perfect church for my daughter and son-in-law of whom we're very proud he was chief warrant officer of the year for the entire nation and they flew my daughter and him to Washington for a special award and he's an encryption intelligence if he tells you what he does he has to kill you so I don't know what he does I don't want to know (laughs) but I know they love the Lord and they want their kids to walk in the Lord my daughter leads these great retreats for these Fort Gordon is like a city there and near Augusta, and, and for three or four years now, she's led these retreats with all these ladies of Saint Simon's Island, uh, there in uh, near Brunswick. But oh, to see the kinds of things that can go on in a church when God's people are embracing the calling on their life, and they're fulfilling. Let me tell you, it's the most exciting thing to to discover who you are in Jesus, and to flow in that. And to do what God's called you to do. You know, I wanted to be an evangelist. I would watch Billy Graham. I would record his messages. I learned to preach like Billy Graham a little bit. You know what I mean. Won't you come? But you know, when I preached, I didn't get the same results he did. You know, Billy Graham is anointed as an evangelist. He can get up and just accidentally burp and 10 people will come forward to get saved. Why? Because he's called to do that. You see, now we're all to be witnesses and we're all to do the work of evangelism. That's a part of the work of the church. So we all share our faith with other people. But some people are gifted as evangelists. And I'm telling you, when they show up, things happen. People get saved. It's a wonderful gift. Some people are called to teach. Some people are called... To serve in very practical ways. There's all kinds of call. There are as many callings as there are people really. Christ designed you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. So he wants you to embrace. He wants you to make a choice. If you haven't done it, do it this morning. I choose, say to yourself, I choose to embrace the calling of God on my life. If you don't know what it is, then start seeking him in prayer and in word. And listen to the counsel of trusted saints in this sanctuary. And your pastor. And they'll help you. Together you can discover who you're called to be in Jesus Christ. The second choice is the choice of non-conformity. This is a tough choice. But boy, do American Christians need to hear it right now. We have been so conformed to the age that we're living in. And the culture. We've been so co-opted by the pagan, secular culture around us. There's hardly any difference between us and the world around us. And God, he says, apart Of the changes I want to bring about. Entails you're embracing a choice to say. I'm going to be different. Look at verse 17. Now this I say. And testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk. As the Gentiles do. You could put the word pagan there. As the pagans do. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened. In their understanding. Alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance. That is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. I just wrote a book about this called Learning Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what the Christian pilgrimage is all about. That's what church life is all about. That's what the mission of the church is. We're learning Christ together. And that entails a completely different lifestyle, a pursuit of different values, different goals, different meanings and purposes from the world. The world can't provide those for us, you see. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. It's, it's adrift. And there's no meaning and purpose outside of Jesus Christ. And God says, embrace this, embrace this. You see, to the degree, a lot of us, as, as Dallas Willard used to say, have a doctrine of sin management rather than sin eradication. You see, God takes sin a lot more seriously than you and I do. To the degree that you and I tolerate sin in our lives, to that degree, we are darkened in our understanding. Alienated from the life of God, ignorant and hard in our hearts, just as it describes it right here. You notice he's warning Christians about these realities. When we allow worldliness to creep into our lives, it, it, it hardens our heart, it darkens our minds, it can, brings confusion. We don't understand fully again what God has made us to do and called us to do. So, a second choice choose to be different. Walk differently. That's a part of what God has called. That's what the Methodist tradition has always been about. It's a call to holiness. And Paul is going to continue to reiterate that calling as we move through these chapters together. Then he, he, he says, I'm, I'm wanting you to embrace the heart of the gospel. I want you to choose to love. Jesus said, the, the whole Bible is summed up in this simple love command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It all has to do with love. So he starts beginning uh, this discussion with the 25th verse. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin and so forth. Don't let any uh, corrupt talk come out of your mouths. And then he goes on to say... Uh, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be uh, put away from you, along with all malice. And then he says, Be tender hearted. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walking in love is a daily choice. It's not a matter of feeling. Sometimes it's really not even a matter of, of affection. I know that so often love brings affection with it. But sometimes you have to love by faith. You have to love people that are not naturally lovable. <laughs> and that's a tough thing. You know, if love were just an emotion, we could not obey the love command. But it's amazing when you begin to love as Jesus does. You step out in faith and you offer God's love to other people that God begins to fill you with love for those people. Yes, I did play on the basketball team at ORU, as Scott announced a minute ago. Actually, I was the greatest player ORU ever had. The sad thing is no one will ever know because I am sitting on the bench. I mean, how can they know how great I am if I'm sitting on the bench? But, uh, you know... Uh, We played a New Year's Eve tournament, and uh, we lost, and it was New Year's morning, and the only two basketball team members that got up for breakfast were Tim Cameron and Larry Hart, the two Baptist boys who loved to eat. I've learned Methodists love to eat too, but anyway, bottom line, we got up for breakfast. We went into this restaurant. We didn't realize what kind of a restaurant it was. In the back, there was a bar, and there was still celebration going on from New Year's Eve and there were all these people back there and all this noise and we felt a little out of place so we ordered our breakfast ate very quickly and uh, we got up to leave and there was a man a couple of tables behind us who saw us walking out and he said hey kids come here he was inebriated he had taken all the money out of his pockets and his wallet and he had put it all out there on the table he said take it it's yours <laughs> he was offering us his money And we needed the money, you know. But we knew it wouldn't be the right thing to do. said, sir, uh, we'll just take a coin here and play a song for you and we'll be gone. And we put a coin in and we walked out. And I turned to Tim and I said, Tim, you know, the sad fact of the matter is there's more love and acceptance and fellowship back there in that bar as we just saw than there is in a lot of churches. And it reminded me Of the classic sermon that he turned into a book, Jess Moody. A drink at Joel's place. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost? (laughs) They thought they were drunk. But they were drunk all right. But it was with new wine. It was the wine of the Spirit. And what was the result of that? Well, they were praising God in other tongues. They were boldly announcing the good news of Christ to others. They were laying down their lives when they're sharing their very life possessions with one another. It brought about tremendous change. You see, because of the choice to obey Christ and to be filled with His Spirit and to ultimately to be filled with His Spirit is to be filled with love. Listen, I want to tell you what God's about. God is about love. I want to tell you what He's about. He's about people. We're about career. We're about success. We're about notoriety, or whatever it may be. God doesn't think in those categories. We think the only important things are the big things. It's not true. It's the little things. It's the relationships you have with people. It's the relationship you have with your neighbor. Just before I came to this building, my lost neighbor across the street walked out into the street and we stood and talked. And we have have a great friendship going on. He knows very few normal words. They're pretty, pretty salty language that this guy uses. He's a pretty tough customer. He's a double felon. He doesn't get to vote and stuff like that. He's the best neighbor we've got. He'd do anything for you. But you see, God is evaluating my life in terms of how I relate to that man. And whether I share the love of God with that man. And that's the way it is. Have you seen John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven? How many of you read this book? He came to Tulsa, I think he was at a church on the move, and they they just packed it out and couldn't. They had all these. This wonderful pastor down in Texas has simply had a a life project of studying the Scriptures on heaven, but also investigating all of these near-death experiences. And you know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these. And you know what one of the common themes is? When these people have this brief touch with heaven... The first thing that they're questioned about is this. What have you done with your life to help other people? How have you loved other people? That's what it really boils down to. A choice daily to love. Do you get accosted in, in parking lots at Walmart and Walgreens and stuff? You know, people wanting money. I've gotten I got so hardened to that. I went to Walgreens to rent a movie. Yes, I backslid and rented a movie. And there was this young uh, black man about this tall, and I knew he's about ready to hit me up. And I was just so hardened. I didn't have any money anyway, by the way. If it weren't for that little plastic cart, I wouldn't have gotten the movie. He said, sir, and I said, no, 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 no. I just waved him off and I walked to the car and I sat down in the car. My door was still open and he walked by me. And he said, you don't have to be afraid of me. And I thought, you know, really, you ought to be afraid of me. I mean, I'm twice your size and all of this. But he kind of ticked me off. I said, what? Did he, he mumbled that, but he, he wanted me to hear it. And he got past me and I just, I didn't shut the door. I said, what did you just say? He said, you don't have to be afraid of me. I said, I'm not afraid of you. I just don't have any money. <laughs> but you know, I have missed an opportunity there to show somebody some love, didn't I? I think the Lord had to kind of get my attention about that. We can become so hardened to the needs that are around us. We have to choose people daily to love. The, third, the fourth choice here, we have to choose holiness he starts with this in the very next verse. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, which means greed or materialism, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. He goes on to say, but walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. For the light, the fruit of light, is found and all that is good and right and true. And, and try to discover what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't take part in all these evil deeds of the darkness. Then it says in verse 14. Therefore it says awake O sleeper. And rise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. Christ will shine on you. John said this didn't he? God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. If we, if we walk in uh, the light we have fellowship. With with one another and the blood of his son, Jesus continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't walk in the light, what does he say? He says we're liars. We're not doing the truth. We're not living the truth. You know, a Christian can make a wrong choice to choose to walk in the darkness rather than the light. And the repercussions are horrendous. So he says, Each day you live, choose to walk as a child of God's light. A children, a child of light. Walk as children of light. In fact, uh, in my Bible, I don't know what yours looks like, but those words, awake, O sleeper, are written in a poetic form. Do you see it that way? I'm using the ESV this morning because it's very literal. It has the word walk five times in it. It says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead they might have sung it like this sing it with me now someone thought I was from Australia saying hey good day how are you no awake oh sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will give you light well my mentor Dale Moody at Southern Seminary in Louisville taught me that hymn And he told a story about it in class one day. He said, I was preaching in a local Baptist church here in Louisville. And uh, there was this young man in the service who, who didn't have a mama. And his daddy was an alcoholic. And his daddy was at home sleeping off a drunk from the night before. And the little boy was sitting there and heard Dr. Moody preach on this passage. And he taught this Greek hymn. Awake, old sleeper, and rise from the dead. And, and the little boy, you know, being a boy, learned it. The adults couldn't because our brains are pickled. We can't learn things like this. But the, thank God for kids. So this little boy went home. It's lunchtime. His dad's still lying over there. And the boy's walking around the house singing, Hey, g'day, hey, g'day, hook, got them, don't hook, got them, no. And his dad raised up and said, What are you singing? He said, Daddy, I'm singing a song Dr. Moody taught us in church today. Well, what does it mean? Well, it means this, Daddy. awake, O sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will give you life. That man was convicted and he went with his son to hear this moody preach that night and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, that's what we're doing. We're spreading the light, people. It's just ordinary folks like that little boy. And we're just telling people about Jesus who is the light the light of the world, and we can see the results therefrom. Hallelujah. One more choice. One more choice. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk differently from the world. Walk in love. Walk in the light. And then there's a warning here. And oh, how germane it is to our day. Walk carefully. Look in verse uh, 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, which means to grasp firmly what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking To one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. And submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Did you know this is the only reference in the New Testament to being filled with the Spirit outside of Luke Acts? And a lot of scholars believe that Luke was Paul's secretary for the book of Ephesians. That's the reason it got in this book. And uh, uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot to that. I'm going to ask Luke when I get to heaven. Uh, did you help Paul with Ephesians? We know Tertius helped him write Romans. Did you help him with Ephesians? And I started studying what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. Looking through all of these passages. And i noticed two key contexts for being filled with the Spirit. First was the corporate. God's people come together. Just as he says, and they begin to speak to one another. and That's a miracle right there. We're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart of the Lord, always giving thanks for all things and submitting ourselves to one another. And you know what happens? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Or Roberts used to say, it's like going to church, it's like going to the gas station. You get, you get your fuel, you get filled up. That's what, one of the reasons we need to go to church. So we can be together and be filled corporately with his spirit and and motivated and energized to go out to do his will. But then there's another context and that's when we're alone and we're individually following out our daily walk with him and making these most important choices and cooperating with these changes he wants to bring in our lives. And when we do that, I've noticed that in the book of Acts. You know, Peter would stand up and boldly share Christ before his Jewish opponents that really he cowered before earlier. And what happens? It says he's filled with the Spirit. And then what happens? There's a great result. It happens that way every time. I've told this story so many times, but I just love it. I just relive it. And if you've heard it, just indulge me, would you? My wife says I'm more and more that way. I just tell the same story, same jokes. This is about Bill Shane. When I went off to Louisville, I just graduated from ORU. A month later, I'm pastoring my first church. (laughs) Quite a change. A little country church, 50 people that came, and a little beautiful white frame building with a steeple and a graveyard and all that. We lived on a road that had no name, Uh, it was just a paved road, and it was near the metropolis of Laconia, Indiana. Uh, 65 people lived in Laconia. So we were a megachurch. I mean, you know, that's I've started off pastoring a megachurch. And all those people, There was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to this young dude in the ministry is to serve these people. What an honor. And I learned and grew, and I hope they did. But I remember one day I got a phone call. Brother Larry, can you go over to Corydon? Corydon's the old state capital there in Indiana. And there's a jail there. I used to go to court in every Saturday morning for a radio program, and so I knew how to get there, but they said, "We want you to visit Bill Shane. He's in jail." Bill Shane was not a church member by any stretch, but he had a reputation in the community of, as being a person who had no control over his drinking, and when he got drunk, he was dangerous. And in fact, here's what had happened. He had gotten a drunken rage against his father who was a paraplegic in a wheelchair and he pulled him, pushed him out on a dark country road out there in southern Indiana one of those farm roads and left him there to be run over. He was not a nice guy. And Bill was dating, believe it or not, a young lady in our congregation. She and her mother came, but her daddy was an atheist and didn't come to church And what happened was he found out his daughter was dating Bill Shane and he forbade her to see him. Bill found out about that, got angry, got drunk, put his gun in the rack on his pickup and drove out to the farm to confront Henry Withers. Henry Withers was about twice my size. He was a big man. And Bill confronted him and the next thing they know they're in a fist fight and Henry plants a fist in Bill's eye and splits the eyelid open and he's lying on the ground bleeding. They call the police, haul Bill off to jail there in Cordon and then ask me to go visit him. I said, no problem, hallelujah. I'm an Oral Roberts University grad. I now know enough Greek and Hebrew from seminary to really be dangerous. I can handle this. no. I was as scared as you About I mean, I would be crazy if I weren't scared. What are you supposed to say to a young man like that? So I called up one of my deacons, Ned Carter, for protection. (laughs) And I said, Ned, let's go over and visit this guy. So we got in the car and we drove right in front of the jail and then we stopped and prayed. Now let me tell you, that was a prayer meeting. You pray differently when you're facing a situation like that. Now let me tell you what happened to me. In Corrigan, there was just one jail cell. And everybody's in one cell. They're just all milling around together. It's not a big place, you know. And there's a corridor that leads to the cell. I'm walking down that corridor. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls upon me. He empties me of doubt and fear. He fills me with faith. and And he begins to put love in me for Bill. A young man. I'd never, I'd only heard of him. I'd never seen him. He began to put compassion in my heart for this young man when I walked up to the cell there were a lot of several maybe eight walking around milling around there was Bill I knew Bill because of the swollen stitched up eye what do you say next now remember I'm a little southern Baptist preacher with a nice little brown suit on and Ned right there to protect me and a, and a four spiritual laws booklet in my pocket and I looked at Bill I said Bill uh, I need to talk with you. So he walked up. So here's Bill saying, here are the bars. Here's Ned and here's me. I said, Bill, my name is Larry Hart. And I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, you know, Bill, there's nobody that can help you except Jesus. And Bill said cynically, yeah, I don't know how to get in touch with him. And I said, Bill, I can help you get in touch with him right now. And believe me, this is exactly what happened. You don't have to be a paragon of spirituality or a brilliant theologian. You just have to be someone that's got the courage, the guts enough to tell the good news to somebody. I pulled out that little booklet and I started reading it to him. Bill, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I went all the way through the gospel presentation and I came to the little question in the booklet. Now he's just standing there. There is not a sound in that room. It is absolute silence. And I'm reading this gospel book to him. And then I say, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to receive Christ right now? He said, no, there isn't. I almost said, there isn't. (laughs) Well, what about the problem of evil? What about the hypocrites in the church? What about the apparent contradictions in the Bible? What about the people who have never heard the gospel? You know, all these smoke screens people throw out. But you see, God the Holy Spirit was on the scene. Now that's why he fills you with his spirit. To give you the power to see changed lives like that. And you're not changing them. God is, but you're telling them the good news. And so he prayed right there. And gave his life to Christ. Now I had just been to a Billy Graham school of evangelism. And we were trained about how to follow up new converts. So we had four booklets that we were going to go through together. He was going to go to the state farm. And he was going to have to transfer his la- answers over to his prison stationery. But we went through that entire follow up Bible study series. Knowing Christ. Growing in Christ. Obeying Christ. Sharing Christ. And then I lost touch with Bill. Because God called me back into a church back in Louisville. And it was about two years later. I'd, I'd heard through the grapevine that Bill had married this young lady. And I was worried. I, I, I saw her one day in a burger place there in Louisville. And I was afraid to go ask her how they were doing. Because some of my converts haven't lasted, you know. You know why? Because they're my converts. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit converts a person, something right, lasting change takes place, you see. I said, how are you doing? How are you and Bill doing? Oh, Pastor. We're doing great. We belong to this church. And she named the church as a wonderful spirit-filled church. It was Southern Baptist, but it was a renewal. They were wide open to the Holy Spirit like you guys. And she said, we're just doing wonderfully. Listen, that's the meaning of our lives. That's why God is doing all this stuff in our lives. Why he's changing us. Why he calls us to make these choices. Have you chosen to, obe- to embrace your calling? Have you? Have you chosen to live a holy, loving life? Have you chosen to yield to the Spirit, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit? Listen, you're missing out of it. You can call yourself a Christian, but you're in name only. You're missing the whole meaning of this thing. God wants you and me to be different every day. He wants us to grow in His image and likeness. He wants us to discover the adventure. Of being an obedient disciple of of Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about people. And if you don't know Christ. You're missing out. You don't have life. You actually the Bible says you're living in death. But if you'll receive Christ this morning. Let me tell you what will happen to you. You'll receive life. Life eternal. Life abundant. Life of meaning. Life of purpose. Life of peace. It can be yours today. And maybe you're a backslidden believer. I mean, let's just call it what it is. We've all been in that state where our hearts are a little bit hardened because we're really not attuned with God walking daily in the fullness of His Spirit. Maybe today is a day to make a new choice, a decision to say, I'm following through, Lord. I'm going to be there for you. And I know you'll be there for me. Let's pray. Lord, in these final moments of the morning together, we just want you to do whatever you want to do in this meeting. For those who really have never come to know you through Jesus, let this be the day, Father. Let this be the day. For those of us who've maybe just sort of been treading water, drifting along, not fully embracing your call, the call to discipleship, Lord, help us to reaffirm that call that, and embrace that call today anew. Just let your will be done. Holy Spirit, we're just putting this in your hands right now. Help us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Everybody says amen. Let's stand together. We're just going to sing and give you an opportunity. There'll be people here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you and counsel with you. And we're just going to spend just a few minutes. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.